Content warning. This episode discusses domestic violence. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your sister and friend Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. Last week, AJ shared her journey in becoming a Muslim and then journeying off to live in Saudi and then falling into this incredible opportunity to translate incredible Arabic books into English for others to access, one of them being the Qur'an. But in the end of the podcast is a part I want you to remember. AJ so powerfully proclaimed. We look up yeah, to somebody like, yeah. oh, I can't reach that level. Mm-hmm. And I would just think, people, you don't know me. You don't know what hardships I've gone through. You don't know the trials that I've gone through. You don't know anything about me. You only know that I participated in this project. And that does not define me as a person or as a Muslim. And this had me thinking, right? What did she mean? But before we deep dive into that a little later, let's take it back a little into a more exciting time in AJ's story. Now, when Brother Suleiman decided to close down the bookstore for good, AJ just couldn't let that happen. I mean, all those books that were just laying there collecting dust with no access for people to you know, get knowledge from, it just was out of the question for AJ. Truth is, when AJ mustered up the courage to ask him to inquire about his bookstore, I'm not sure if she believed he'd say yes to her because he had turned on so many people. And I approached him and I just said, listen, Suleiman, you've known me for all of these years. You know, I don't have the money to buy this company. I had only $8,000 to my name. That was my life savings at the time. I said, I'll give you that. And then over time, I will inshallah pay you off right? Um, What do you think? And so we came to an agreement. When my nationality came, you know, I applied because you know that everything there, you have to have um, permission to to publish, right? And so I was able to eventually secure that. And I reopened the bookstore. Buying the bookstore from Brother Suleiman was the easiest part of AJ's story. When AJ inquired about the bookstore, right away, she approached the manager of the building and made a deal to renovate the bookstore. She said to the building owner that she'd remodel everything in exchange for a guarantee not to raise the rent for five years. Alhamdulillah, you know, the owner agreed. So now I have myself have two contracts, right, that I'm set in. And we go to the Chamber of Commerce in Jeddah, we hand in the paperwork, the contract, the agreement. So we think everything's on the go-ahead. Nobody informed me that even though everything had gone through legally in Jeddah, that there was a final step of having to be approved by um, a ministry in Riyadh. And when my paperwork got to Riyadh, they rejected it. Oh, no. And there was only two people in the country higher than the person that rejected it. Now, you know that in Islam, and, and I, this was a shocker, I had already signed these contracts. I already had people working in the store to start the remodeling, um, create the bookshelves, oh the counter, custom law. build, all, all this stuff, yeah. right? So I can't just like back out of these things. Now, we're talking about high officials. Here's me, I don't know anybody, how am I, you know, like, there's no way for me to get to these high officials and try to fight this, right? But I was so distraught, and I happened to be out to lunch with a very close-knit, you know, group of my friends, and I guess I was probably just in one of those moments, like, oh my God, what have I done? What am I going to do? I was just venting, 
And one of the, my friends, who was also a foreigner, said, well, who is it? Who are these two people? And I said, well, it's either Minister So-and-so or the king. You know? <laughs> so don't and, two people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know, we're just going to go knock on their door. <laughs> and one of my friends said, well, she happened to know somebody who knew that minister. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> like, yeah. SubhanAllah. Eventually what happened is I was standing in my store, still thinking that I got to keep processing. I got to find a way to make this work and really putting trust in Allah. Maybe I was stupid, but I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't just stop. I owed these people all this money and I'm in these contracts, right? So my friend had called me one day and said, have you heard anything from anyone? And I said, no. And she said, well, I can't make any promises. I'm not real close to these people, but I'll make one more attempt. And so I'm standing in the, in the space. It's very echoey because there's nothing in there. And I get this phone call and this guy says to me, Amatullah Bantley? I said, yes. He said, wait for me. And I said, and then he put me on hold. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how rude. Who is this? What do they want? I was agitated. Yeah. <laughs> then all of a sudden, this man, another man comes on the phone and he said, Amatullah Bantley, yes. I'm minister so-and-so. I hear you have a problem. Oh, Allahu Akbar. <laughs> Allah Akbar. Wow. And so, first of all, there is a proper way in Arabic to address a minister, yeah. which, you know, my Arabic, you know, I, if I heard it, I could, I know what's being said, yeah. but I couldn't pull that out of my, out of my vocabulary yeah. at the moment. And so being the Westerner that I am, like we would, we would address Mr. President. So I just said, oh, hello, Mr. Minister, how are you? And he probably just thought, oh my God, who is this woman? You know, um, but to make a long story short, he agreed to look into the case, see what had happened. And, you know, I finally got the approval. But even after you get the approval, you still have to be cleared through a, a, a background check, really. Um, and so we were stuck with that. Subhanallah. There was a customer who used to come to the old bookstore who hadn't been there for years. Mm. He happened to come to the bookstore thinking it was still open. At that precise moment, my worker had been in the warehouse behind where there's no windows, um, counting inventory and doing different things, but he, it happened to be a van. So he went into the main store where there's windows that's completely empty at this time to go make wudu. And when he did, he saw somebody approaching the store, this other guy, right? And so he recognized him as a former customer and went out and greeted him. And the customer was like, what's going on here? <laughs> and he said, oh, well, Suleiman closed and Sister Amatullah took over. And, you know, she doesn't have the permission yet to open. So we're waiting, yada, yada, yada. And he says, you know, well, what's the problem? Now, unbeknownst to us, this man also worked for someone in the department that we needed to be cleared for the background wow. check. Allahu Akbar. No, 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 no. This is Allah absolutely positively the most randomest thing but he he could wow i'm speechless i don't even know what to say well, uh, what do you think i was uh, you know so so abedin has this man call me and ask me <laughs> what's the problem and literally within days permission was granted Allahu Akbar. 
So if 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 you don't consider those miracles, no, those are miracles. You know, this is Allah's intervention. No, 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 you know, no, that's no, why no, I no. Say that is divine intervention. This was Allah's project. Mm -mm. This this is all. You were just yeah. merely a vehicle. You were just a means. You're just on this ride. But Alhamdulillah, Allah chose you as a vehicle. You know, um, to make the things happen. Because you know, when Allah uses you for khair, it's a good thing. It's a very very good thing. But that is unbelievable that's actually unbelievable so when you when you heard about this conversation you were just like jaw dropped you're like what uh, absolutely and and that's why i always said this is not our project this is allah's project you know you know i i relate to that very deeply i feel like i feel that way about the podcast this podcast because we started this in our bedroom and then one year later and a half 10 million listeners i don't know how i don't know how that i, I don't know like if you ask Muna, she's right there we can't tell you how this happened, but all we know is that like, this is a lost project. This is what Allah wants. Right. And our biggest right. concern is, is not messing it up. You know what I mean? Like our biggest concern is being the best vehicle we could be. And so I relate to what you're saying so, so deeply. Um, wow. Sorry. I'm just, I got to soak that in for a second. For 10 years, AJ was running her bookstore, okay? Still translating, reading, adding bookstore to her bookstore collection. I mean, AJ was living essentially her best life, okay? Until one day, one day her child needed immediate medical attention. And what was supposed to be a temporary trip to the U.S. unfortunately became a permanent one. I remember getting into the van and looking back at the door, and I had this gut feeling that I would never walk back in it. I thought, okay, it's good to bring the kids back now because, you know, my daughter was a junior. And I thought, okay, she can do jun uh, junior in her senior year. That means we'd be residents. So when it came time to college, transition to college, it would make it easier. But after I got here, nothing went as planned. I had said to my sister and her husband, you know, we're coming back. We plan to just stay with you guys for a couple of weeks. I'll get a job. I'll move out. You know, we just appreciate a little transition time. That transition lasted nine months. Although this was my home country, this was my home city, this is everything I was familiar with, I couldn't find a livable wage job. I, you know, here I am in my early 50s, and I've had all this experience running my own businesses, but... I ended up later going to a career counselor who told me, no matter how much you've done, it's it was your businesses and there's no, way, no one for them to ask what kind of employee is she. Also, because I had only done an AA in school, which is, if I look back in life, probably one of my biggest regrets. I remember thinking at the time when I went to college that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to own a business. So I said, why go to a four-year college and learn philosophy and French and all these subjects that I thought were kind of unnecessary when what I want to do is business. So I went to business school and got my degree in business and thought, boom, I'm going to get my business started at 20, right? So when I came back, it looks like here's a 50-year-old woman with an AA and you know, what does she have to show for it? I thought I had a lot to show. I thought my experience would show my capabilities, but the reality turned out to be is that they look at your degrees before anything else. And you know, they have a lot of automated systems now that read the resumes. So I probably just came up as a red flag. 
So I started applying at places like Target and, you know, Metro Mobility and places like this, but nothing was even $15 an hour. And here I am going, I have to provide for two kids and myself on $15 an hour. That's not even a livable wage for a single parent, right? I mean, I was still technically married, but part of the agreement was that if I was going to stay behind in America for a while, that I was going to have to start working to pitch in. I got to the point where I said, all right, I'm just going to apply. So I'm thinking 18 19 $20 an hour is the minimum. Um, but I had to bring that standard down to 15 bucks, And I, I applied anywhere for it. I put in over 100 resumes and only got a couple interviews. What was AJ supposed to do? I mean, can you imagine how demoralizing that must have been for her to start from the bottom at her age? with all that work experience, but nothing counted? Imagine having to start from scratch with children who need you too. I remember when I came across AJ's LinkedIn, when I was first looking for her, I saw that she had worked at a male handling place, which meant that you know she worked at a physically demanding factory job. And if I'm being honest, I just couldn't believe my eyes. I, I honestly couldn't believe what I was reading because I kept thinking, how did a person who owned this incredible bookstore, okay, translated so many classical books for us to read and contributed to the Uma in such a large way, be the same person essentially struggling, working at a factory job. I just could not put two and two together. At the time, you know, AJ was very, very fortunate enough to have a sister that helped her during that transition period back in February 2017. Although AJ was like in complete survival mode and was completely focused on staying afloat, AJ struggled, man. She really, really struggled. I wasn't at the post office that long. It was like from three in the afternoon to one in the morning. So this was not convenient at all because my kids were coming home from school then. Very tiring, you know, to work that night shift. You come home, it's like you don't even want to sleep before Fedger because you know if you go to sleep now, you're so tired, you're not going to hear the alarm. And just the way that it worked when you went in there, if you were a, a male handler assistant, you had to wait for somebody to be retired or leave before you could start moving up into the permanent positions. And there's not a lot of turnover. So you don't get the full benefits working as an assistant. You know, they kind of limit you to 30 some hours and so that you don't get you know, all this vacation time, you don't get the full medical, blah, blah, blah. So it wasn't ideal. And one of my coworkers left and went to um, a large corporation that, you know, produces food. And he's like, you're never going to get anywhere. Why don't you come out here? You know, the pay's better. And I said, you think I'm going to drive 27 miles one way every day to get out there? He said, just come out and check it out. I think you'll be happy just because the, the, income is good. The benefits are good. Well, they have to make them good because nobody would do those jobs otherwise. Um, the factory work is, I never imagined myself again at that age, but you do what you got to do. What, what, so out of curiosity, like what was the factory work? What was it like? Describe us like, what is it like clocking in? So I was on a line, on a food production line, and I started out doing where like the wrapping of the products was. 
Um, but that's not the only thing you do. You also, they close down the whole plant once a month and you do a, a ceiling to floor clean. So you're up there. <gasps> actually, yeah. Well, you, you use the scissor lifts and you're up there with brushes, you know, no. shaking off all the flour no. from the pipes. Yeah. So they have janitors for the everyday stuff, like cleaning the bathrooms, but for cleaning the factory, you take the ovens apart, you take the freezers, you, you defrost the big freezers. It wow. is hard, physical, you know, very labor intensive work. Your feet hurt, your back hurt, you know, it, it wasn't a lot of fun. And I remember one time in Ramadan, because you're, you're on your line, the breaks really have to be very coordinated. And there were times in Ramadan that they would schedule my break at one in the morning. And let's say fasting didn't start until five, but I would literally have to start my fast at one in the morning because I could not get to the cafeteria of course there's no food and drink on the line so so if you I, were so you basically were fasting since one even though you're supposed to start at five fast at five yeah yeah so you weren't eating oh my goodness that's kind of really that's really harsh i mean you'd be fasting for a really long time yeah you know there were other times where they'd take my break you know they because they'd rotate people but i didn't have a choice in the matter there's not a lot of people wow. who can cover you because you have to be trained on each section of the line so you got the mixers at the beginning of the line and then you got the people on the ovens and you got the people doing the wrapping, you know, end of the line, da, 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 right? So I wasn't trained on all aspects of the line, but some other people were. And so they would come and cover you, you know, the people that had been there for a long time, but it had to go according to everybody's break. So it was really, it was exhausting. And then when mm -hmm. I first started, it was eight hour shifts, right? And then after I was there for a while, the employees actually... Uh, voted to do 12-hour shifts, but then you work th <gasps> three days one week and then four days the next week. But yeah, so it was... Wow, you'd be working so many hours and then you'd come home when your kids are waking up. Yeah, because at the factory, I worked overnights originally. So we started like 10 or 11 at night and got off at six or seven in the morning. You know, my kids should have been up and out the door already. And I would come, I would be driving, thank God my car has that automatic sensor so that if I would start going over the lines, I would fall asleep coming home because it was 27 miles away. And I would drift wow. off. I would open the windows. I would turn on the radio. But I was so exhausted. It was even dangerous. And you're so tired and so busy with surviving. I started not recognizing myself. You know, here I had been this person working in dawa this person publishing islamic books you know this person who was very regular about all of my ibadah and i just started seeing it it was um wearing on my soul for that first year of working the overnight shift i would come home exhausted i would always fall asleep but 4 hours later my body never, ever, ever adjusted to sleeping in the day, even though my room was completely blacked out. But for over a year, I literally slept four hours a day. And your body just isn't wow. meant to do that. And I think I just reached a point of sheer exhaustion. And I remember standing or uh, more like I was envisioning myself just standing, looking out the window and literally feeling like I was sliding down that proverbial rope of Allah. And like I was at the bottom 
and holding on for dear life. You know, alhamdulillah that I never stopped praying. I never took off my hijab. I, you know, I never stopped fasting. I did all the requirements, but I still felt like my heart in many ways was empty. Um, you know, there was no time to go to the masjid or to the halakas or to, like my life was just so different. It, it was survival mode. And it affected my man greatly. And I felt almost like, hypocritical I don't mean that I was a hypocrite in that I didn't believe or that I was against Islam anyway but I felt like I had been one kind of person and now I was almost like I didn't recognize myself like I was somebody else I was I was ashamed because I felt like how can Allah be pleased with me when I'm just barely I'm just doing the bare minimum and I kept telling myself I know Allah I know my deen, so why am I struggling? You know, shaitan, and I thought that because I was a firm, strong, practicing Muslim, that shaitan could never get to me this intensely. And it almost came to me as a shock, like how can I have been such a practicing Muslim and now be struggling so greatly with my iman? Like I believed wholeheartedly, but I was just, wandering blindly at the same time and I would tell myself like you have to this is why you have to keep going back to the sources and and be around good people and go to the halakas or sit down with your book or listen to the podcast or whatever it is you know we can't because once you let one thing slide then all the other things start disappearing too and it's not to say that Allah He's always there for Toba, right? We can never, if we slide, we can never let it get us down to the point that we don't think that we can get back. And, and we also know that Iman goes up and down. But for me, it was like such a drop down a mountain. It wasn't little baby hills. Mm -mm. It felt like sliding down a mountain. <sighs> the troubles for AJ didn't end there. Although things were looking on the up and up again, especially after she found got her new apartment that fall, her marriage fell apart. AJ and the father of her children decided to go their separate ways. And for the first time in a long time, she was completely in this thing called life alone. But AJ wasn't the type to believe in doing life alone, okay? AJ wasn't that type of girl. AJ was a hopeless romantic. And so... AJ met a guy online that was like no other man she had ever met before. He really sparked that joy back into her life after a long slumber of life's ebbs and flows. He would read Islamic books with her, go hiking with her, show her the kind of love she's always prayed for. To be honest, what it sounds like what we all prayed for. <laughs> the problem was he lived in another state, which meant that she had to pack up once again and take a leap on love. So we had gotten married before I moved. Like I had gone down there, we had gotten married, I came back. And, um, you know, the whole time I was looking for a job. I didn't want to go till I had a job there, right? And then at one point, I actually went to visit and rented an apartment there thinking that would be easier uh, for potential employers to see that I'm established there, right? So that's what I did. Um, but 
so when we had first gotten married, he said that he was living with a brother and his family. And, you know, like if I sent things in the mail, it would send him to this address. And I remember him saying, don't put your return address on the package. And I said, why? He said, I just don't want anybody in my business. I'm living in other people's houses. I, I, I don't want them in my business. And so even though it struck me as kind of weird, I didn't see it as a red flag. It should have been a red flag. Okay, so picture this. Close your eyes. On the morning of the first day of the rest of their lives, AJ's Prince Charming drives down in his carriage to pick up his princess, to move across the states to finally be with each other. Because long distance just wasn't cutting it for them. And how could it for these star-crossed lovers? Right? But wait. On the day of their move, AJ started to notice something. I'm going to just say it. AJ started to see massive, there is danger here, do not look away, bloody, bloody bright red flags. There were red flags from the very beginning. And it's not that I was choosing them to ignore them. I just, if I go back now, I see that that's what it was. Like the evening that I left Minnesota, packed up the U-Haul to go. And my family literally lived eight blocks away. And he told me, we don't have time to go say goodbye to them. Wow. He wouldn't let me bring my microwave. He wouldn't let me bring my weights that were my dad's. He, he wouldn't let me bring a cooler that belonged to my dad. Like he was stripping me of, and it didn't make any sense. I'm like, you have enough stuff. It's too full. You don't need to bring anything else. And I'm thinking, what? Here I am. I had given up my apartment. I had given up my job. So what what can I do in this moment? And he said, well, if you really want to go see your family, then just catch up with me. And I'm like, I don't even know. I'm traveling across the country. How am I going to just catch up with you? Wow. And, and, and so I'm standing there going... Part of my part of myself is saying, you shouldn't be going. And the other part is saying, how can you not go? All of your stuff is packed up and, you know, he must just be tired, you know. And so you want your marriage, you're, you're newlyweds, you want your marriage to be good. And so you just ignore things. Um, if you see that somebody's getting upset, you don't you don't want to rock the boat. But literally the whole trip down there, he tortured me psychologically. He stopped on, made me stop on the side of the highway at one point and just was screaming at me for no reason. He told me that he was, he said, you're tired. You can't take, you can't drive straight through, but I can because I road trip a lot. And he forced me to stay by myself on the side of the road and, to, and told me that I couldn't, I couldn't come. Right. And I'm thinking, what kind of husband does that? What do you mean you couldn't come? What does that mean leaving you outside of the road? I don't understand. He said Where it wasn't, he, he was trying to tell me it wasn't safe for me to keep driving because, you know, yeah. it's a long trip. And this was probably the 15 hour mark or 14 hour mark. And he just said, I, I worry about you driving. Because see, he was driving a van that I had purchased with the U-Haul on the back and I was driving my car. Hmm. And so he was trying to say that it was for my safety and I'm thinking, but you can't just leave me here on the side of the road. 
So I don't understand. Did, did he? I don't get it, Amitabha. Was he gonna let you stay there, sleep there in your car? He, he told me. I, he told me I had to stay there and sleep. And he was gonna go. Yeah. So of course this is a major red flag, and I'm thinking, uh, what? Ooh. What is going on with him? And now I hear I'm halfway across the country. We had already. I had already rented the apartment. But this is the first time you guys are moving in. Like, you're you're packing up, you're going. You know, like, this is where you guys are going to begin your chapter. And this is how he starts the chapter? That's insane. And you know what's crazy? You probably felt like, am I overthinking this? Maybe he doesn't, you know, mean it that way. You know? Because, you, you know, when you go through something, you, the, the reality of what you're seeing, you almost cannot accept. Because it would just be too much to accept, feeling-wise. Yeah, it's like a shock. Yeah, it's a shock. And and, and, it, and it's like almost survival as well. It's like if you let those feelings of I think I'm making the greatest mistake of my life right now, you couldn't handle that in that moment. So what you do instead is you tell yourself, okay, you try to make excuses. When somebody just said, I'm sorry, I was having an awful day. Let me make it up to you. You know, you just, you, you have a hope that, because there seemed to be, so I've been talking about all the negative things, right? But there was also this other side that seemed to be sincere and, you know, playful and fun. And, and I thought, you know, was he have struggling at work or, or whatever it might be? Like, just give him some time, do some dawa, you know, figure. It's a new relationship. Sometimes you got to work out, you know, you got to get to know somebody better. Whatever was going through my head. You know, try, I, I guess I wanted it to work and I thought I could make it work. AJ settled into life. She starts work, moves into the house that she got with her man, right? Classic happily ever after. Now, AJ's fairy tale quickly turned into a complete nightmare. What AJ thought was a bad day turned out to be a pattern of violence throughout their relationship. And on one terrifying night, AJ finds herself sitting on the bed and her husband standing over her with a bat. I was actually sitting on a mattress on the floor. He had picked up a bat and literally said to me, I could beat you bloody and leave you here to die and nobody would ever know. So that put the fear in me. You know, I said this could be it. This could be the the end of my time. And I just stood up in his face, afraid, so afraid. But I said, if that's what you're going to do, I, I said, a shadow on la ilaha illallah, if that's what you're going to do, you know who you're going to answer to. Mm-hmm. And I know I was taking a risk doing that, because it could have aggravated him more. Uh, thankfully, by Allah's mercy, he backed off. But that wasn't the day I left. That's the day I knew I had to leave. But you have to remember that I left my home. I only had, you know, some personal effects with me. You know, I had some kitchen things, pots, pans, whatever. And in my mind, All I could think of was, I have to find a way to escape this apartment, but I need to take my stuff with me. I have nothing in life except these, you know, boxes of stuff. I have nothing, and I'd have to start over with nothing. So things started to get really 
bad for AJ, okay? She started to notice odd things would happen. That he would disappear. Like he would legit disappear and some nights he wouldn't even come home to sleep. One day, AJ just had enough. Remember that address he had her sending packages to? She had a nagging feeling that it was more than just strangers he stayed with. And so she decided to investigate further. You know, who gets married and then their husband always has excuses of why they're not around and they take off for a few days or, you know, just when you start hearing these excuses, things just don't add up. But I knew that address and I actually sent somebody to the house, you know, because here I am working, but I knew somebody who had uh, an opportunity during the day to drive by and I asked her, drive by and tell me what you see. And my van was there and, you know, she recorded it. And then I had a friend who actually started putting pieces together and searched for the address and found who the owner was. And it was, I mean, I knew the name of the wife. I just, you know, but I was lied to. They were still married, not divorced. When AJ's co-worker confirmed that her car was indeed in the driveway, AJ decided to check it out herself on that night where he was supposedly working late. And the car? The car, just like her co-worker reported, was parked again in that driveway. That's when AJ, in an impulsive reaction, decided to confront him when he got home that morning. And when I tell you things hit the fan, things hit the fan. I confronted him and I said, you know, I went over to the, her house. You know, my vehicle was there. Like, he was driving um, a van that I had purchased. I mean, I was so stressed out at this point because I was in fear. I didn't know how I was going to get away. All I wanted to do was go get a pickup and, you know, put my stuff in it and put it in storage and go find a place to live, right? Mm -hmm. But I was always so afraid of him showing up and being uh, alone and I, I was actually in the living room where the door exited the apartment because I knew I was going to have to run. So I ran and he was screaming at me and I got in my car and I called my boss um, because she actually turned out to be a really cool lady and she knew what was going on. And um, I told her, you need to call the police. I can't even call the police. You know, I want you to record this conversation. Because he was just screaming, screaming. I mean, he, could, he was enraged. And I, I was so afraid. And, you know, the police came. And my boss actually called. I was working in a school. She called the principal of the school and said, we need to get AJ out of here. And so they came. Her husband came. So we had three vehicles. And we just packed up. And he ended up, he ran, you know, he left when the police came. Not only that, they ended up calling because we had nowhere to take my stuff. So they actually called the district office. So first of all, this was COVID times, right? So the school was pretty much empty. And they actually called the district, like like the mental health services or something like that. And they just said, can we please bring her stuff and put it in a storage room in the school? I mean, because that's not protocol. You know, they don't usually allow somebody to do a favor like that. I, it, was a, it was a crisis, you know, and the, and see, the thing is, is that he was following us in the car in 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 his in this truck that he was driving and so um we called the police because we were like he's stalking us 
we didn't want him to know where we were going. Um, and so we called the police. And when the police came, then he broke off from, you know, the three vehicles. And so the police pulled him over and he, you know, said the junk that he said, like that was just his hangout house. And he admitted to them that he was married and lived somewhere else. And I don't know what he told them about me. So then, of course, the police came to interview me and they wouldn't do anything about it because he hadn't actually harmed me. Um, and the janitor happened to be the only one at school at that time. And so the janitor saw everything and I just approached him and I said, just please promise me that you didn't see any of this. Don't tell anybody. And that guy was just so like, he walked me out to the parking lot every single day after that, after I left. He said he's a big cockroach. That's was that was his description. <laughs> so the the janitor kind of became my protector. He wouldn't let me walk out to my car because he was afraid that he could be stalking me. And I literally was watching my rearview mirror everywhere I went, not knowing oh, if him or, you know, his wife or wife's kids or, you know, anybody. He could have sent anybody oh, after me. And 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 thankfully I I knew somebody, so I actually reached out to her the first day and said, I have nowhere to go. Otherwise, I'm going to be sleeping in the mountains, you know. And so she said, you know, one of the people in her house was going to be gone for the weekend and I could come just for the weekend. But then I had to figure out what to do after that. And amazingly, one of my coworkers um, went home and told her husband and they welcomed me to come to their house. So Allah opened a door. So I was at their house for probably three, four, five weeks. I, I really don't remember, you know, it just... I know that I was there longer than I expected to. I mean, I was relieved to have a place to put my head down. I made a lot of dua and I had a lot of conversations with Allah. Like I was talking to him in my head. Again, it was just starting over with almost nothing and just having to survive. While all these emotions are going through your head. Again, it's like you know you have to hold on to the rope, but you're just sliding because it's so hard. So you're going back and forth. It's like a ping pong ball, you know, on a table, just going back and forth like, yeah, Allah, I know I need you right now. You know, please help me. And then there's no help coming. I'm stuck. I'm so angry. I'm so afraid. I mean, I was on the floor at night and there was like a sliding door out to a patio and I, I, I was afraid that he would come in and, and yet you're so attached even though it's like tra being trauma bonded in your head you mm -hmm. want him to be apologetic and you want him you know to to let it work out because you feel alone which is sick okay yeah but in the moment I had loved him in a way that I hadn't loved somebody else until I saw that he wasn't who I thought he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it was. And then you start, you know, doubting yourself, like how, what is happening in my life? What, it, what now? You know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I, I could barely think straight. And I was so traumatized, even though I knew I was safe. I didn't feel safe. Because in my mind, I was so afraid. You know, and this is somebody that loved to talk about the religion. We would literally read, he'd be at work. 
and I'd be on the phone with him for hours. We'd be reading Islamic books together. It was a load of quote-unquote fun. You know, we went hiking and road trips and, you know, I was just like, I can't believe that Allah blessed me with a man like this in the beginning, right? But it was all a front. But after I moved down there, he couldn't keep up the secret anymore. Subhanallah. It must have been like, and that was a, like, that was the first time you had, you know, got back on a horse and finding love. And when you did, it just was nothing like what you imagined. I felt like I was losing my mind because I, I started seeing the red flags, right? I started seeing the controlling mm-hmm. abusive behavior. And 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 you just think to yourself like what is, what is this? You start thinking you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like why I I always wondered why did abused women stay with their abusers? I could never understand that. But you are so trapped especially because I had no family there. I only know knew a few people. I had really nowhere to go. I didn't know that Allah was going to open a door and that my coworker, you know, there was really only two people who knew in the school, my, my immediate boss and the one coworker that we had, we just clicked and I entrusted her and she mm-hmm. knew what was going on. The one who offered me her home. Um, but I really was so alone in the world. I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't even really know the city yet. I didn't know my way around. And all I could think of is, I can't walk out of here with just the clothes on my back. At least, you know, how how am I going to just replace the few things that I do have? Imagine how much more things would have been difficult for AJ had she not had the people to help her. When you really deep her situation, you can't help but marvel at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reality is, her husband was her only family. In a city she had never lived in before, barely knowing its people, barely even know how to get around the city. And her husband, he was a willy. He was her protector. He was supposed to be a source of rahmah and love. But look, he turned on her. And she had no one. But look how Allah sent help. Through her boss, through her friend, her co-worker, even a janitor. Because the truth is, your wali can abandon you. But al-wali, the helper, would never abandon you. And if you know who al-wali is, you know he's also the disposer of affairs. And let me tell you how he handled hers in the best way. One day, AJ gets a call from an old boss back in Minnesota to offer her a job, offering her the same position with higher pay. But going back to Minnesota meant she had to choose homelessness again. Because what's there? She left everything. There's nothing there for her. And although it was difficult, AJ prayed that Allah would see her through. I never in my life imagined that in my 50s, I would be homeless. Allah, again, was merciful that a person um, opened their door to me, you know, Somebody I knew, again, but not super well, but enough that they were, they knew that I didn't have anywhere to go and said, until you get on your feet, you can stay here. So I'm, you know, 
in this woman's basement going, I, I got to make a move. I can't let this time keep going, going, going. Again, it was only supposed to probably be a few weeks and turned into, you know, probably three, four months. I, I, I don't remember how long. Had to have been at least three. I just said to myself one day, I wonder if I'd qualify for a house loan. Never really believing in my soul that I would. So I applied on a Friday to an Islamic mortgage company. I got the answer the same day. Okay, yeah, you would apply. You would you would uh, qualify for whatever amount of money. I met a realtor on Saturday. Spent the whole day Saturday afternoon noon going through the uh, listings. Picked out four places to go visit on Sunday with her. And the three that were at the top of my list when I actually got to the properties, they were no way for whatever reason. And so the fourth house was a house that I really wasn't that that interested in it because it was was a little bit bigger than what I wanted, but it was still within the price range. And I walked into the house. I got halfway through it. I turned around. My sister was with me and I said, this is my house. Hmm. <laughs> now the market at the time... It was kind of a hot market, right? And the realtor told me that um, she actually stayed after we left to see how many people came to tour it. She said, there's a lot of interest in this house, and if you want to get it, you need to offer more than the listing. And I said, I can't. It is at the very top of my budget, and if it's meant for me, I'll get it, and if it's not, I won't. But I will not offer a penny more because I can barely offer what it is. I made the offer. They accepted it on Monday. I got, a, <laughs> I got a house in like Allah. three days. <laughs> <laughs> Allahu Akbar. Alhamdulillah. Because so, it was already yours, Amitallah. It was already yours. So, I mean, after hardship comes ease. Verily, after <laughs> hardship comes ease. <laughs> I never thought I'd be a no homeowner. I mean, it was a huge stretch. Uh, but I just needed that. The, the feeling of having my own place where nobody could tell me what to do, where, you know. Wow, subhanAllah. Yeah. I mean, at this age, my parents were, they could have retired, right? I never imagined mm -hmm. in my life that I would be homeless and in such chaos and have to start over, you know, yeah. with no savings, nothing. But subhanAllah, Allah just... He opens those doors and, you know, th th that ayah, it says the hardship is one and the ease is two. Mm -hmm. It's doubled. So, I mean, this was completely unexpected. I really never, ever, yeah. ever dreamed that I'd be a homeowner. <laughs> like how? How do you go from being yeah. homeless to being a homeowner? But it just... I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's that's insane, especially because you started so many times. You, yeah. you started so many times, and for someone to experience that at your age, you know what I'm saying, is like some people would say, like, "Oh, it's a write-off. Like you're going to struggle like this for the rest of your life," you know. But Subhanallah, it's Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that that takes us from nowhere to somewhere. Does that make sense? It's Allah that takes us this to here. You know, it's. It's with his, because it's easy for Allah. All of this stuff is so easy for Allah. The thing is, and too, though, like, we can't think that, we can't have a false security. I mean, there's a sense of security having your own place, 
but I had I was very comfortable when I lived in Saudi Arabia and then to come back here and like so when I moved in my house I had no money for furniture but there was an organization um for women who had been abused and so they brought me furniture so nothing in my house matches it's all used it's all um whatever but I'm so grateful you know and you kind of feel again you feel like oh my god you know like I hate asking anybody for anything I never want to feel indebted to another human being but you have to get over that because Allah provides wow subhanAllah you know to see your story in like full from beginning to end you know it reminds me it's like subhanAllah we're going to be tested until the day we meet Allah like forever you might do something really great then you'll go through another difficult moment then you'll be fine again then you go through a difficult moment then you'll be fine again and then you go through another thing again it's like that's what this life is about you know is that we're going to be tested but how many of us are going to return back right and and i also want to say for people that really have slid like mm-hmm. really far mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't matter it's past what matters is now and in the future so if you've quit praying if you've started using intoxicants if you have slept with somebody you shouldn't have slept with whatever it is no matter don't think that I can't repent because you can and even if you can't just give up some of the bad things you're doing always always pray and you may feel hypocritical in doing that but that's the way that you will turn back to Allah I I remember so let's go back to the sister whose husband Abu Bilal that passed away you know Mm. she she was a scholar as well and Mm. she always told her children that especially as they grew up and went off to college in other countries and knew the fitna and all of that and she just told them it doesn't matter if you struggle and face fitna, but never, ever, ever give up your salah. That's really what kept me going. Even like I said, I felt all, you know, like I was losing my faith, but I never gave up the basic principles. Just never give up the basic principles. You can't expect yourself to change overnight. You know, shaitan's happy. He got you to go do those things. But this is the way to fight him. Get back to the salah. The part that fascinates me about Amitullah Bentley's story is that she had did this incredible thing. She had translated the Quran that we all know and love, her translations, the work that she did with Muhammad and Mary Kennedy. And the daunting part about it is that you just think, okay, that's that's the story, right? When we interviewed Amitullah Bentley, I thought that was the story. I was like, that was it? You know, she did it, like... She's also experienced, but to hear about her afterlife, coming back to America, um, struggling to make ends meet, you know, dealing with the the fear of homelessness while also being a single mom, I'm just like thinking, how could a person who did something like this, so big and so beneficial to the Ummah, could be the same person that was struggling like that? But like, it just blew my mind, like, the contrast of it, I was like, oh my God, subhanAllah, like our life is a lot longer than we imagine. You know, you might do something really big. Allah might sometimes like 
you know, give you an opportunity to do something so massive. But it's like, your journey doesn't end there. Your journey ends when you die. Like, it's just, it's continuously going. Allah is always going to test you. Like, you're going to do something, and the thing that you did, he's going to test you with. And then you're going to be tested again, you're going to be tested again. And you might be 70, and you've done like a million things. You've overcome a million things. And it's just like, wow, like, all of these small moments are so just a short part of her life it's just a short small chapter of her life and it's like it also makes me reflect on the beauty of like what is her whole story gonna look like for Allah you know what else is Amatala Billy gonna do what not even you know what's interesting what if you know to us she did such a huge thing for the ummah but imagine Allah loves her for something else more you know, like, it just, it makes you reflect on, like, maybe it was the way that she held onto the rope of Allah that is so large in the sight of Allah. You know, maybe it was those moments where she was just trying to provide for her family, even though she just kept sleeping in her car or wherever she could, you know, but still holding tight to her deen is what Allah loved most, you know? In my eyes, I'm like, wow, you know, I, I was looking at more of a bit of a, like, what is the biggest thing she did? But, you know, sometimes I think the smallest things in life um, might mean more to Allah because it shows how devoted we were when things were bad. You know what I'm saying? I'm to Allah, Bentley's, you know, when she tries in the Quran, things were up for her then. But, like, it's really what attracted me to looking at her and defined her as a person was when things were bad, who was she? Who was she when she was damn bad? Who was she when no one checked for her? Who was she when she's just driving hours back and forth by herself to to provide for her children who was she then when she was facing the fear of homelessness in the face who was she then that really just makes me look at her and just say wow i want to i want to be that kind of muslim that no matter how large the things i you know it's, i do or what other people think of me. Forget about what I do. What other people think of me, the kind of person I am. I hope that the, the moments that nobody sees and only Allah knows is what counts the most. Like, that's what really counts, you know? It's the, what, it's the stuff that people don't know, man. Allah, it's the stuff that people don't know. Allah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm getting chills thinking about it, but it really is the stuff that people don't know, man. It's the it's those moments where you're you're crying alone and you're pleading with Allah or you're struggling. It's just people just know about it, and the only person that knows is Allah, and who you are in those moments when nobody's looking. It's the most powerful. This episode is brought to you by Beautiful Light Studios. I want to give a shout out to producer Munishir Umar, assistant producers Nima Harun and Khoya Bazid, graphic designer for the one and only Wasima Farah. And to our marketing extraordinary, Sasamdalahi. Thank you, sis. I'll see you guys next week in your ears, in your speakers, telling you a good story. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got news for y'all. Don't, don't, don't hang up. Don't leave me. Just one second. Give me one minute. I have incredible news. I would like to announce that the Digital Story Podcast, okay, has been nominated 
for a shorty award in the arts and culture category. Okay, this is a big deal. This is such a big deal. Congratulations, everyone, to Beautiful Life Studios, to the Digital Story team, to you, the listeners. Congratulations. This is yours as well. This is a big W. We have become a finalist. Um, I think there's six people who've been um, uh, moved to the next round finals um, in the final round, and now the jury's going to vote. Um, who wins the category now if you don't know what a shorty awards is it's basically like the mtv awards uh podcasting um maybe even oscars i don't know but it's a big deal and i don't know how many muslims muslim podcast on a project muslim podcast muslim women muslim women of color podcast has ever won an award never mind like been nominated like i don't know i don't know we were supposed to do we're actually going to do our research but i don't i've never heard of it so if there if there is somebody out there that won then big tooth but this is a big deal too for us alhamdulillah um and i'm so excited <laughs> to just even be nominated this is so insane to me um because it's only just more clear how big tds is becoming how massive we're becoming, how mainstream we're becoming. And literally all we talk about is Allah, du'as, vibes. Like we just, our faith are just so unapologetically and just without filter. And here we are like competing with the Game of Thrones podcast, competing with, you know, other podcasts in big productions like Warner Bros, Apple Originals, Audibles. Are you kidding me? Our Mesquite podcast? It's going neck and neck with the Game of Thrones podcast. First of all, this is insane. It's insane. You should all be proud of yourselves. If you're listening, you deserve a tap on your back for listening and for being attentive and for engaging, bro. Like, alhamdulillah, wallahi, Allah truly deserves all praise. Oh, and the way that, like, this podcast, Allah Mabadak, is just reaching new levels that no other podcast has ever done before is truly something to reflect and marvel at. Allahi, Allah deserves all praise. Um, I want to invite you guys to vote for us. We also have the opportunity of winning an award. It's called the Audience Honoree Award. Um, not the actual award winning for the category. The juries have to judge for that. But we do an opportunity to win an award as a, I guess, like, um, how like an audience impact award, like how you know engage our audience is. So if you guys can get to vote for us, and I guess depending on who has the most votes wins. And I know all like million of you guys. Okay, I don't even know how many at this point how many listens there are. There are so many. If every single one of you guys voted, we would literally just blow the roof off the the house. You know, like literally, it would shock everyone and. I want to invite you guys to vote for us. If you go to our link tree, okay, if you go to our Instagram, go to our link tree, or even in a, um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify, if you go into the description, we'll have the link there for you guys to vote for us. Or you can go on our Instagram, check our link tree. It's the first um, link that you see that says vote for us. You can vote for us as many times as you'd like. We need the votes in by April 26, okay? Go crazy. Go get your families to vote. Get everybody to vote because... Wow, TDS, yes, it needs to be loud and proud. Everybody needs to know we are unapologetically Muslim and we out here big, okay? So go ahead and vote. Get your mama to vote. Get your auntie to vote. Get your neighbor to vote. Get everybody to vote. Everybody has to come out in Charlotte and vote um, for the culture. Vote for the culture because it's iconic, man. It's iconic. And con again, congratulations to Beautiful Light House, Beautiful Light Studios, um, the Digital Story team, and to you, the listeners. Y'all did this. Allah did this. Alhamdulillah. And he deserves all praise. So go ahead and vote. 
and let's see alhamdulillah let's see inshallah hopefully we can be games of thrones hopefully hopefully inshallah <laughs> but anyways jazakallah khair guys assalamu alaikum love you